Welcome to the podcast. I'm Mio Biskin. So today's episode is very interesting, exciting episode. I spoke with Sean Wilmore from the Thin Green Line Foundation. Um, this is the Thin Green Line Foundation documentary. So um, Sean helps rangers in in all over the world, but in Africa, who uh, get shot and killed by poachers and helps them and their families through his foundation. He's an amazing human being and um, some actually very inspiring moments in this conversation. And one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to him is his love of music and his the way he has synthesized music in with what he does um, in his foundation, using the power of music to obviously raise funds, but doing that through concerts and a very novel idea he has um, started called A Song for Change. Um, and so, yeah, I hope you really enjoy it. His story is very inspiring. Um, and I definitely feel like we're going to do another podcast in the future. I think we're just scratching the surface. So enjoy this conversation with Sean Wilmore. I'm here with Sean Wilmore. He's the founder of The Thin Green Line. And uh, he's just an all-round champion jolly fellow, excellent human. Um, so yeah, welcome to this podcast. Yeah, thank you, Mia. I'm not sure I can live up to all of that. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how we go. Yeah, you can. You, you have this magical ability to win people over. So um, keeping, their, keeping them there is another thing, but okay. Right. <laughs> even, even presidents and potential presidents, maybe we can talk about that story of meeting some people in America. But um, yep. yeah, yeah. So one of the reasons I wanted to um, really chat to you was because I, I think you, you live in this interesting space um, between doing charity work in your foundation in, three, in Green Line and the world of music and um, you've been able to bring them together in a really interesting way and um, obviously use, using the power of music to, to raise funds for what you're doing, but also championing musicians and really supporting them. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's, why, that's why we're here hanging out. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's an interesting uh, meld of things, I suppose. Uh, you know, musicians often get asked to support charities and charities often ask musicians to, to get involved and where those two align is, is an interesting space, yes. Yeah, yeah. So maybe tell us just a little bit of your background of sort of how this journey started of the thin green line yeah it's um it's i suppose an accidental um, beginning in some ways but um i was a park ranger which wasn't an accident i passionately wanted to work in the environment in some some way shape or form and i did a science degree and had the chance to do some postgraduate studies and all of that stuff but then after doing some practical work in a national park with rangers went yeah that's that's kind of where my passion lies is actually getting hands-on Mm -hmm. You know, and the role of a ranger, especially when I started, was very diverse. You went to everything from firefighting to uh, rescues to visitor management to pest plant and pest animal management to wildlife rescue. Uh, just a whole plethora of, of things and you never knew what was going to happen in the next hour. So it kept you interested and excited and I loved the training up in different sectors. So I started off as a ranger. Um, and was very passionate doing that for about 12 or 13 years. And then I went to an international ranger congress and met rangers from all around the world at, 
uh, in a Congress, actually at Wilson's Prom where I used to work. Oh, right. um, and I didn't know this Congress was happening and I just kind of found out through a ranger friend and it was booked out. And so I just went down there in my ute and slept in the back of the ute with the, the canvas canopy and got my registration and just knew I had to be there for some reason. Mm. And I met my worldwide ranger family there and they told amazing stories like, you know, being chased up trees by elephants and having lions in the tree above them while they're in the tree and yeah, about, about you know, clinging to, to cliff faces, chasing poachers. And, but then the tragic side of being shot by poachers and their friends and colleagues being killed by, by poachers and animals sometimes themselves and this other kind of world, which I knew existed, but, but not to that extent. Anyway, something clicked in me and I, mm. I'd never been outside of Australia at that stage. I was 31 or two. I've done a lot of traveling in Australia, but never went from uni to work and that was it. And mm. so I decided to sell the car and remortgage the house. And, um, yeah, I broke up with the fiance and I tell everybody that wasn't my fault. It was definitely hers, but <laughs> you can believe whichever side of that you like. Yeah. But any, any which way, it was going to move on. And I decided to go around the world and make a film that I didn't know how to make. Mm. And the first country I was going to was where I couldn't speak the language. So it was making no sense at all. <laughs> yeah. and, um, but, it, <laughs> but, but to me, it was just what I, what I had to do. And in fact, um, you know, I, I sent an email to all the rangers from that Congress and said, look, I've got this idea to tell our story just with a video, um, a documentary, if you like, and raise some funds for the families of, of the fallen rangers. And every ranger you know, around the world just said, come, you know. Mm. And they, I just stayed at their houses. They picked me up at airports. It was like family. It was amazing. Um, mm. And I spent the whole year traveling around the world having these, these wonderful experiences, being charged by elephants myself and climbing volcanoes and, you know, being in big, big surf and, you know, all sorts of uh, nearly drowning in rapids in Costa Rica. Just a, a wonderful experience and a very lively experience. <laughs> and, you know, you never feel more alive when you're close to dying. <laughs> so, um, so there's some of those experiences. But then um, I came back to make this film and I was making the film and I went to give the money to the International Ranger Federation and they said, we're not a charity arm, set up the charity arm. I started Thin Green Line because there was nobody out there looking after rangers and their families. And that was the, the essence of it. So, uh, and serendipity played a part. I sat on a plane at that stage next to her, said, g'day to a guy and he happened to be a lawyer. Oh, okay, I'll buy. What kind of law? And he said, oh, it's a bit obscure. And I said, well, hit me. And he said, I set up charitable organisations. And I went, oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and then I suppose what happened after there, to make a long story short, is I went over a waterfall <laughs> and I've uh, been going down the rapids ever since coming up for breath, running this foundation. Yeah. And then, yeah, so the foundation existed. It exists now to do four things, and uh, training, equipping, fallen rangers and uh, advocate, advocating for rangers. And the music and everything all leads to just lifting the rangers up for their, for their role in protecting nature. If mm. I can put that in a kernel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. It's such yeah. an exciting journey. And so um, this is the Thin Green Line. I've got... I've got the original film. This. <laughs> original film. Um, if people are interested in, in, in getting onto that, where's somewhere they can go check it out now? Well, firstly, we have to explain what a DVD is to most people. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a circular disc that goes in a machine. <laughs> Although I suppose the retro hipsters will know what that is. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we have to put that on VHS, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, originally started on um, DVD. You can watch that online for free now. Um, okay. It's amazing how far things have come in such a short time. That was 07 when that was released. And YouTube wasn't big enough at that time to put a full movie on. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if YouTube existed. 
Yeah, uh, maybe it, it was might small. Have, it could only have like ten minutes. Was like the max or something. Yeah, maybe it was half an hour stretched, but mm. they definitely couldn't put that on there. And so we sold DVDs. Yeah. And we asked people around the world, and you can see on the front cover there, we had people give music to the film. So uh, John Butler, if you could hold, you could hold yeah. that up again, maybe. Blue King yeah. Brown, Cousin Leonard, Tov, Paul Dillon, Bomber. Yep. They're more. just some of the musicians that gave, yeah, gave, so gave songs really to Really amazing, um, huge Australian artists in there. Yeah, and that's where the connection with music really started. And, well, I was really amazed when I was making that film, Leo, was I had some really exciting footage of a helicopter rescue in Canada and I put this clip together of all the exciting scenes and it was just video. But when I put a track to it, Mm. Oh man! Yeah, it was just—I I didn't do anything fantastic. I simply just put a track down without mm. changing any levels mm. to this, and it was Spider Bait's uh, one of Spider Bait's kind of songs. It was uh, "Take Me Back" or something. Anyway, it just made this thing come alive, and I was like, "Oh, I have a look at this. What music does?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so it was really, yeah. I mean, I suppose I knew music had a power before that, but it really made me excited about the power of music to create emotion. Yeah, yeah, music and yeah, visuals, visuals together is very powerful. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, and, and you got some awesome people involved in that. So yeah, um, and everybody asked just said yes. So the musicians were really giving. You know, some people even wrote purpose purpose written songs for the for the documentary, and um, and it was the same for the CD that came later. And you know, it was just really fantastic. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so. What, what are some other, well, I'm thinking about, you know, the audience who's listening to this. Like, what, um, I mean, I guess in this case, you just reached out to people. You just, you had some connections and you needed to. Yeah. So I'm thinking about how, how musicians can think about either um, having their music on certain things like this, like documentaries or whatever. Do you have any insights to share there? Have people. Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose I've always tried to, and I've, uh, along the way tried to be fair to musicians too and where we can, especially for gigs, live gigs, pay something. I mean, I know musicians get asked to do everything for free. So it's like, um, all right, we're not expecting, especially if you're that, you know, uh, starting out or middle, mid-level um, and, you, you know, you've got to make an earning. So I try to be fair to musicians. Um, it's always not the easiest thing when you're balancing a charity who doesn't have money either. So you kind of almost, there's a parity with musicians and, and charities in that you're both broke and you're both looking for success. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you're both people to hear. doing a lot of stuff for free, hoping it leads somewhere. <laughs> totally. So I suppose we get each other in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I'm not a musician per se, but, uh, but I suppose I'm creative. And, and so I, I've enjoyed that collaborative process with, um, with musicians, but um, for me as a charity person, I mean, I had no qualms in asking what I thought were the right musicians for music because I wasn't asking for me. I was asking on behalf of a cause of rangers projecting wildlife. And, and so if, if the musician said no, that's absolutely fine. I, I didn't take that personally. I would say I might be disappointed, yeah. but I'd say, okay, thanks, no worries. And uh, even some of the musicians that did say yes said had really good plans and uh, like our friend uh, Wally Debacca Gautier, you know, he chose three charities that he would dedicate himself to, mm. um, and and that way he was focused in getting as much return to those three charities as as possible, rather than being spread over, you know, fifty or a hundred charities, which were being yeah. were asking someone like him to do. 
Um, John Butler was the same. John gave us songs um, and did other things, but he's right now especially very, very big on the anti-fracking, which is absolutely perfect. And mm. they're just honest conversations too when you're a musician and if you've decided on one or three causes or, mm. or more, mm. to just be honest with charities and say, hey, yeah, I'd love to support it, but I'm really focusing my attention on X, Y, or Z so that I can help with this issue. Mm. And people like me in my position in the charity should be totally understanding and appreciative of that. Mm. I say, okay, that's fine. Thanks for your time. And, yeah. and you know, I've had musicians say that and um, I've had the other end where some have been absolutely just rude <laughs> yeah. and obnoxious. Mm. And, and so <laughs> they've, gone, they've gone lower down in my standings. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think there's a polite refusal and then there's just being an obnoxious human being, whether you're a musician or not. Yeah. So I've met those. And then I've had the other extreme of really, uh, you know, success, what we term successful in terms of, um, you know, you know popularity and sales yeah, and you know commercial success yeah. that have been amazingly generous with not just you know giving a song but but actually giving their time and um and just to talk to you about what's your charity tell me more about it and mm. you know john paul jones from led zeppelin's one who, who mm. comes to mind and elvis costello are just mm. two fabulous people that were just really giving of their time um mm. and really genuinely interested in mm. made their kind of touring a bit more interesting to talk to someone like me <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so I suppose the advice would be, um, if there's advice at all, would be for musicians to find what you're passionate about mm. and either approach the charity and say, hey, you know, if you need stuff, I'm happy to write something for you mm. or um, that, that's always appreciated, um, especially if you're, you know, you're about to do something, um, if you're about to do a release or if you're releasing a song or an album, say, look, I'd like to take you along the journey with me as my chosen charity and wherever mm. I speak, I'll... I'll, I'll um, I'll mention you guys as one of my chosen charities mm. and all of that experience over the 15 years I've been, 16 years I've been doing this has led me to that second charity, which I'm starting at the moment. Uh, mm. One song for good, but it's about, and that that's about not having a negative impact on the musicians, but allowing a positive conduit for the charity without taking money away from the pockets of musos. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about this idea. Cause you, yeah, you brought this up a while ago and we talked about it and I thought it was a brilliant idea because, you know, like mm. you're saying, it doesn't take away from the musician in any way. If anything, there's, there's a lot, it's just a win. It's just this win cycle all the way around, like everybody yeah. from it. So maybe describe how that, how that works, what it's called and how it works. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I suppose um, to premise it, uh, start with why the idea came up and through all the f- 15 years of doing work with musicians uh, with Finger in Line, asking musicians to do gigs for us mm. and understanding then, you know, really po- positive conversations that or informative conversations where the musicians would say, hey, yeah, I could do it, but if I do that gig in that area, I can't come back and do my commercial gig and therefore I'm, I'm going to lose out or right, right. there's resistance from either the, the manager or the booking agent to say, Ugh, yeah, it's going to cause problems with selling tickets mm. or there might be a uh, an agreement with a big festival that oh, you can't do a performance within the year space of, mm. in that area because they're paying big dollars. And so there's all these complications always. And mm. so I really appreciated musicians when they really stretched it. And I really appreciated ha- dealing with musicians who are independent because they can make calls on their own without yeah. being beholden to bigger contracts and, and yeah. things. So that was, a, that's an important lesson perhaps for, for up and coming musicians is mm. independence of choice when it comes to charities Mm. Um, and doing charity gigs. Anyway, that long story short, I also understood that 
I had to be sensitive that I wasn't taking away from musicians' livelihoods and mm. dealing with bands at every level, right through to international stardom, right right down to people doing the small, very small community gigs. Mm. They all had different complications, and so those discussions led to one the idea of one song for good, which is rather than me asking you to play a gig for Thin Green Line. Um, that I would actually, uh, and I've expanded to include five streams of charity. Um, mm. So, you know, wildlife protection, climate crisis, refugees, uh, refugee action, Indigenous rights in action, and women's rights in action. So there's five main streams. Mm. And what happens is rather than me saying, come and do a gig for us or give me a song or, you know, mm. something like that, we say, whatever normal gig you're going to play, mm. whether it be, well, in COVID-19 online <laughs> yeah. or, whether it be, or whether it be when we get back to doing live gigs, just dedicate one song in your set mm. to your chosen stream. So if, you, if you're passionate about refugees, choose that, that stream. We'll choose the charities. You can nominate a charity and we'll mm. consider it. But we're gonna, we'll have that charity there for maybe three months or six months or uh, whatever period of time we decide. But every, fun, every bit of funds in that stream that every musician chooses in that stream will go to that charity to, to do their core work. Mm. So what happens is there's nothing from the front door for the musician. Mm. There's nothing from the merch table for the musician. It's one song. So at the start of that song, chosen by the, the band or the artist in the yeah. gig, they say, hey, guys, just before I hit this next song, I just want to say we're going to raise as much money as on the song. Uh, we'll see. It's going to go to refugees, right? So it's going to go to climate crisis or wildlife protection, whatever they choose. And let's see how much we can raise in one song. There's going to be buckets passed through the crowd, and I've got this design that has... A donation bucket with an F post attached, so no one steal that. Um, <laughs> and it, it right. but, it also, but also, yeah, that's right. And also, there's an app developed. We're being developed at the moment, so people can just get on the app and donate in that one um, song. Right. And right. we'll leave it. We'll leave it open for probably 24 hours after because people get home, and tell their friends, and the musicians may post, "Hey, I just did one song for good. You've got 24 hours to post." Mm. Um, now we've done it three times without the high tech component that we're developing now. And it was really successful with uh, Melbourne's Nikki Bomber's been an ambassador with Melbourne Scar Orchestra. We did it with the beautiful girls and we did it with uh, one other band. Um, they'll come to me in a moment. And it was really successful. I think yeah. $5,000 in one song, 3000 Yeah. And that was with really? low technology, with not enough buckets, <laughs> not yeah. with the efforts. That was just basic. Yeah. Anyway, I started shopping around to people like yourself, but other musicians and said, hey, guys, what do you, girls, what do you think of this, this mm. idea? And everyone kind of went, you know what? It's so simple, it'll probably work. Yeah. So there's nothing coming out of the, and there's no resistance now from the manager or mm. the booking agent because they're not losing any dough. There's no, it's not going to affect ticket sales at a future gig or for a future sign ups for another festival or another pub gig because we're not actually doing an event. We're just having the space of one song. Mm. And at the end of the end of that gig, you know, you, me, you get up and say, hey guys, I just did that for Thin Green Line um, or for whatever you chose. And guess what? And we hold up the estimated number that we wrote. And you say, before your last song, we just raised $5,000 for climate change in one song. Mm. Thanks. And everyone, And when we done it the three times, all it did was unite everybody. It united the musician with the crowd, the crowd with the musician. And as you said, everyone won. Like, the musician feels good. They've done something positive. Mm. The, the manager feels good because no money's gone out of the bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, the booking um, agent's not upset because they not upset. cut from the door. Yeah, the punters go, we, we just had a great night out, but we also contributed something a bit more meaningful than, than, than just a gig. Yeah. And the, other, the other positive about it, it's not so heavy. It's not the whole night's not about it. It's yeah. only just for one song. Yeah. 
So you can just do your performance. Yeah, for three to five minutes. And it, or if it's a scar song, 15 minutes. That's how you raise more money, just do extensions. Yes, right. A 45 minute song. That's right. <laughs> well, I have got visions in my head of like, you know, also musicians challenging each other. So, you know, when we get to the Eddie Vedders of the world or someone like that saying, you know, all right, Pearl yeah. Jam, we just raised 200 grand in a song. We challenged Foo Fighters and Foo Fighters say, let's play a, a 15 minute song now. <laughs> We're yeah, going to beat yeah, them. Or, right. or, yeah. And, uh, Whoever it might be. From the, from the artist perspective, too, the, there's a huge win. Obviously, they get they get to um, unify their audience. Um, but also, you know, as far as a, a branding kind of thing, being connected with an audience and, um, and with yeah. a priority or whatever, the, the perception of that is obviously very powerful as well. So. Yeah, well, as you know, I mean, like, the, that has been, I've never experienced it myself from a musician's point of view. I mean, I've done talks to large audiences um, I can only imagine what it's like actually playing a concert where all that energy is coming back to you from a large audience. Um, and so there's a power that comes with standing on that stage and people are there to see you perform. Mm. And so they're listening to what you say. And so with that three minutes or five minutes or 15-minute scar song, you, you've got the chance to say, hey, guys, I've just got something little to tell you about and you don't, it doesn't have to be too heavy beating him around the head with it. Just, hey, you know, we can do something good here for just a short little bit mm. and we'll get on with the rest of our night. And it is part of the night anyway. Yeah, so um, yeah. to me, it's a really kind of um, inert kind of space for everyone financially, but it's actually quite powerful with the outcomes that come from it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's an absolutely brilliant idea. You've taken all of those objections from yes. booking agents, musicians, from an audience, from the general public or whatever, and you've somehow like, you know, yep. woven this, this thing that's like, hey, what about this? And it just... It just works. I, I really love it. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. So, so now if you do say no to it, you are an asshole. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Because everyone has, I don't know, some, I mean, everyone's got their resistance to something, you know. Everyone has, like even, like you must get this all the time if you're, you know, on, on the street wanting to get people's attention and you see them, you know, make a beeline just around, you know, charities. And I, I do it myself, you know. I see oh, I hate chuggers. We don't do chugging. Yeah. Or whatever, and I'm like, okay, I'm yeah. going to this shop. I'm on the phone. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, um, yeah, so it also, you know, sort of gets around gets around that as well. Or, it, or if it does trigger that response, it's only for a very short period, but it's in such a exciting and safe environment, you know, because yeah. then they're having a great time and then they're like, yeah, great. I'll do this. So it's a very yep. different like psychological frame as well. Yeah. And we, you know, as a charity for Thin Green Lawn, we've stayed away from the chugging in the streets. Um, I, a, I think it's, it's really terrible for the person doing the chugging to be rejected that much in a day, <laughs> you know, B, I don't think people like to be accosted in that way. Mm. And I mean, the stats will show it works. Like if yeah. you want to be, you know, you can, as a charity, chuck 300 grand to it and you probably make 600 grand back. Mm. But is it, the, is it the way you want to go about stuff? You know, like, uh, to me, it's, it's always been at a flat out no, unless you probably did it invited to a space by somebody and you had volunteers doing it, you know. Mm. I know stories of some charities which give charities a bad name, but mm. that there's actually organisations set up to do chugging and they will... They hire, you know, students or, or um, backpackers yeah, and they yeah. say, no, 100% goes to the charity. And, 
you go, oh, okay, that's good. You sign up your credit card. But the model is that for 18 months, the money does go all to the charity, but the charity then has to pay 93% back to the organization that's doing the chugging. So really only 7% of your money is going there. Oh, wow. And, that, and I'm not saying that's for all the chugging. I'm saying for those that have used those companies. Right, right. But there's some very high-profile com- uh, charities that have done that. And that gives all charities a bad name. So I don't, I don't think we should enter that space. I think people have got enough free will on their computers and, and mm-hmm. going to gigs. And I suppose that's the other thing, Mio, with this, um, this giving the one, one song for good is that I want to call it original crowdfunding. Mm. So you're actually in a crowd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're actually with other people. Yeah. Uh, of course, COVID nineteen's put a kibosh on that for a little while, but um, mm. but when we can actually gather together and um, you know, so I'm really proud. Shane Howard from Goanna's joined me on the board as well, so that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and we're gonna we'll have supporters like we'll sign you up as one of the artists to yeah. to just be in one song. Um, we've got a bunch of other artists that we've already spoken to. They're keen to to just actually do the one song as part of their performance. And um, I, I just think, yeah, it's, there's a lot of power in, in not being too heavy, but just giving people that space. Mm, yeah. And so what, what from, I mean, you've been, like you said, in, in a way that everything you've done started out kind of as an accident, but you've, <laughs> you've overcome, you've had to, I'm only guessing you've had to learn just, so much because it's not like you came from a, a business and you understood, I don't know, financial structures and the war and how it all I was a park ranger. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what have been some of the major challenges you feel like you've, you've had to overcome that maybe, you know, they almost took you out and you're like, this is too much. I don't want to do this or um, this is insurmountable. But, you know, you ended up sort of getting through it. To continue. Yeah, I mean, there's another thing. I was on a 6 a.m. call this morning with overseas and there's another thing this morning that just is another chip away that makes you want to go, oh, why am I doing this for, <laughs> you know? Um, and I suppose that's another similarity with musicians is that, you know, unless you're passionate about it, you're probably going to wither away and, and move on. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the defining factor. If you're passionate, you'll find a way through, you know? Mm. Just mm. even I felt like giving up a hundred times. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure musicians do too. Like, well, when's my song going to be heard? When's my voice going to be, you know, when am I going to have that break or whatever it might be? When I'm, can I just earn a living doing this, you know? Mm. Um, so I've been through all that um, many times. And I suppose for me is, is that underlying passion that you find a way. And I suppose like perhaps creative artists, um, when you do the work I'm doing, um, you celebrate the highs. You've got to say, "Wow, you know that was really cool." Mm. Um, but you got to ride the lows, and the highs are higher because you're living your passion, and the lows are lower because you're living your passion. So <laughs> yeah. it's about le- it's about learning how to kind of, I suppose, ride that high without getting carried away, mm-hmm. and about um, ex- expecting low without being stuck in there, mm-hmm. and knowing that you'll come you'll come out the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, passion's probably the one thing. Marrying that with a bit of smarts and good people around you um, and good advice. And then having direction, I suppose, is, is the, those three things. So, yeah, passion, smarts and direction. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you kind of roughly stick to that, it, you'll be buffered around a bit. But um, Or if we use my analogy of going down the, the waterfall and down the rapids, mm-hmm. you, you get to come up for breath every now and then. They expect to go down because <laughs> it'll be fine because <laughs> yeah. that's normal. <laughs> yeah, set um, expectation. But then... Yeah. It's interesting the parallels there, like with musicians 
two for sure, just having some smarts, some passion and direction. Because um, when I came to visit your offices in, in Melbourne, um, one of the first things I noticed was you had um, values and mission. And I know lots yeah. of you know, companies or corporations or whatever do that. But um, this is something I never thought of as a musician to, to think about that stuff. And then when I really did consider it like purpose or mission of what I'm doing, and direction, like being very clear and very strategic as about, you know, what the outcome is or whatever, that it actually made it so much easier to ride those lows because you could kind of, you had this backstop you could fall back onto. So what's been the yeah. role of like your values and, and mission? How, how does that help? And maybe help it, yeah. I don't know, if anyone's thinking, oh, maybe I'd like to define that for myself. How would, how would you go about, you know, telling them to do that? Yeah, um, it's a really good point you bring up uh, and it's a really hard thing to define sometimes your values and uh, especially um but the bit about having it on the wall well, we've got a small number of staff like only you know five five people and, and some volunteers as well so we we include as a team but just having it up there on the wall even for yourself personally isn't a bad thing to remind yourself daily why am i doing this <laughs> and then and then like inside we've got some nice pictures that were donated of some animals that we protect and we've got some pictures up with Jane. Jane Goodall and mm. uh, the fact that someone of that ilk is behind us and yeah, you know, she's an ambassador as well. Yeah, yeah, and my son's got to sit on a lap twice and he's lucky, you know. She's done chimp songs to uh, chimp noises to him and yeah, it's great. Amazing. She's she's a she's a great person. But you know what? Even she gets um even she gets you know overwhelmed too. Like everyone holds her up and quite rightly is is doyen of hope. But you know, I've been with her and had a whiskey with her when she's like, going, wow, how do you, how do we get through this? You know. Yeah. Uh, but the amazing thing about her is that she's 86 and she tours more than all you musicians. 300 days a year she's on tour at 86 speaking and everybody wants a, a piece of, yeah. you know, Jane. And, um, but she finds a way to, to keep hope even mm. when people are even being negative towards her. So she holds herself really well and that's mm. been a real kind of lesson for me. And I suppose pe- surrounding myself, luckily with people like her, but others of similar values is a really good reminder. Um, of your own values, but also taking the best parts of values from you, from those confidants, from those friends and saying, well, I really like, like what you're doing over there. Mm. Uh, you know, maybe I should bring that into my value system because I, I, I can see that's really, really cool. Mm. Um, so for me, um, integrity is the number one thing not to compromise, mm. which can be really hard. Um, <laughs> once again, another parallel with musicians and what I do, we've had to say no to a million dollars donation from a major corporation, a very unethical corporation Mm. who wanted to use our branding to greenwash. Mm. And I just said, no, it's not even worth taking the meeting. Um, I can't, I can't take that money. And it may be like a musician being offered, you know, some, what seems to be a lucrative contract, but you're going to have to sell your soul in terms of what you produce and how you do it. And I imagine that'd be a very difficult decision as it was for me. Um, Well, it wasn't difficult. It was, it was obvious and I was always going to say the answer I did, but it was definitely yeah. say, well, you've got to say goodbye to that opportunity, not for me, but for rangers that I represent. All right, we'll have to find that million dollars somewhere else, yeah. which is a lot of dough. Yeah. Um, so I suppose the number one thing with the values comes back to integrity is not to compromise that because once you compromise your integrity and what you do believe in, then you kind of finish, I think. Yeah. Like you kind of like, what do I actually stand for anymore? Um, mm. and, and I suppose there's history full of, people that have done that and I suppose I've done it on occasion. I can't think of examples with the charity, but um, 
there's the number one thing is to say, no, I'm doing the right thing here. Um, yeah. And, and I had a really good lesson when I was a kid. I, I grew up in a poor neighbourhood, but right next to a rich neighbourhood. And I delivered the paper in the poor neighbourhood and went up the hill to the rich people. And at Christmas, the poor people gave me lots of tips. And I didn't get much tips from as I got up the hill. I was a bit confused as a young kid. What's going on? But one of the, not so much wealthy, but one of the prominent people on the hill that gave me a big tip was the Premier of Victoria at the time, John Kane. He just passed away. Mm. And um, he knew I was from the other side of the tracks and he just said, he went for a jog every morning and said, hey, um, front door's open, go get yourself some brekkie if you need some brekkie because there were kids in my area that didn't have breakfast and stuff like that. Yeah. I was like, right, that's a bit strange. The Premier telling me to go to his house. And then <laughs> I got to know him. And eventually I just wanted to have a sticky beak and I went in. Sure enough, his wife made me breakfast and, yeah. um, and then I learned more about him that, at work as the premier, he would have his own roll of stamps. This is before emails yeah. that if he sent off a personal letter, he would actually put his personal roll of stamps. So he'd pay for it out of his own pocket right. for any personal letters. And he would use the other roll of stamps for anything work related. Wow. Very simple line of integrity. Yeah. Yes. But very clear. I got goosebumps from that. It's such a, it's such a simple, such a simple idea, simple thing, but just the integrity of saying, I'm not going to use public money or whatever. Because then, mm. as you know, in the news, any time a politician does anything like that, you know, everyone's up in arms because the integrity is just not there. Oh, that's a beautiful story. That's great. Yeah, well, it, it was very informing for me. And I think, you know, as I started the foundation too, like um, the money, I, I remortgaged the house to pay for the original film and people mm. had given me quite practical advice and said, well, it's normal for you to take the money from the film that you make from the film to cover your costs for the travel for the remortgage of the house. And I said, oh, there's a few reasons I don't feel comfortable with that. One is I had a really good time, <laughs> you know. I, I, I really enjoyed myself. So I don't feel right that other people are paying for my trip. Mm. Second is I wanted the money to go to the families of the Rangers. That's why I did it. Mm. The third was I was a new kid on the block in the charity scene. And, you know, rather than people having to decipher, hang on, what's his formula? Half goes to him and half goes to mm. the charity. I said, no, all of it goes to the charity and I don't need to get that money back. Mm. I probably wasn't so smart because I remortgaged my house another four times and sold my car <laughs> and did all that to keep it going. So now I have no house. <laughs> um, but at the same time, they were my choices. And, um, yeah, I I suppose it all comes back to a critical lesson I got from an Indigenous elder who said, before I started all of this, he said, life has many opportunities coming past you. Because I'm going to ask, because I was asking about Bush Tucker, I was really, when I was a ranger, passionate about Bush Tucker and I was talking to him about Bush Tucker. He said, teach me, I want to know everything. He said, ah, there's something bigger for you. He said, what? What's big? And he just was smiling. He gave me a lot of compliments and he just said, ah, oh, young fella, he said, all these opportunities come past you. I'm going to ask you, do you know which one to grab? And he didn't point here. He's pointed here. <laughs> and he goes, do you know which one to grab? And will you have the courage to grab it? Mm. And that's what, that kind of stuck with me. And I didn't realize, but that's exactly what I was doing when I went to the prom, met those rangers, came home, made the decision to go overseas, remortgage the house, do all that stuff. Mm. Set up the charity and go down this waterfall and down these rapids was, I was, I was grabbing that, that thing that I thought I had to grab mm. and, and do and mm. come what, what may with all of that. Um, mm. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that there's some beautiful things in there just um, like about mission, I suppose, like you identified what your, your mission was or it was revealed to you or whatever. Um, 
and and integrity, but also adventure. Like it's yeah. turned, it has turned your life into quite an exciting adventure. And I'm sure you know being a ranger is an incredible, beautiful um, adventure as well. And I suppose it just because even the metaphors you're using, you know, of like going over a waterfall, like that, just get these Indiana Jones type um, images of like having a real life's adventure. And I think. I think life is an adventure. I think we do have to go on an, on an adventure to discover ourselves and discover some treasure to bring into the world. Yeah. No, you, you, you're spot on. I don't know about the Indiana Jones, um, the bit. I'll have to get the hat for that. I've given a few of those away. But, but you did remind me of that saying about, um, you know, boats, you know, being in safe harbours. That's not where they, they belong. Um, and so, you know, life's short, so... I suppose the thing, and maybe I'm getting so far away from the musician and um, charity thing, but maybe it's pertinent too, is that um, when the big decisions have come up for me, I kind of developed this thing called the old man's breath test um, where I'm pretending I'm my old version of me. Hopefully, you know, I get into my 80s or something, whatever that might be. Anyway, and you imagine that you're making, you're looking back at the decision you made right now, but mm. you're taking yourself into the future as your old self. Mm. And pretend you're on your deathbed and you're actually breathing your last breath mm. and literally hold your breath mm. and think about this decision. Like when I had to sell my house, should I sell my house? I know I'll never be able to buy again because the prices are going up. Mm. And I did the old man breath test nine times. And it's amazing what that does because the old man looks back at yourself now and wants to think you did the thing of integrity, that you did the thing that was your mm. calling, mm. not the thing you did out of fear because that old version of you is not fearful anymore. Mm. That old version of you is... Just, I hope you had the balls to do the right thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and so if you do that 10 times and nine out of 10 times, that old version of yourself says, I would have liked you have done, to have done that. Mm. There's, your, there's kind of your answer. Yeah. So it takes fear out of it. And from there, it doesn't mean it's easy. It mm. just means that's probably what you should be going for. And yeah. um, whether it works or do, it doesn't work, you won't have regrets that you didn't give it a crack. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's that's really powerful. And that's I definitely see that being related to music stuff. I think about, you know, all the stuff I do in music, but also, you know, run creativity workshops for other artists. And a big part of that is, you know, they're asking themselves the question, you know, why am I doing this? Is this worthwhile doing? In the workshop I do a similar kind of exercise like that. And I think about it as um regret minimization. You know, like that I'm in <laughs> okay. I'm in the job of helping people uh, minimize their future regret yeah. by really yeah, checking in with what am I really here for? What do I really want to do? How, you know, how will I get to the end of my life and feel proud of what I've become and what I've done or whatever. So I think yeah. very relevant to, to artists, musicians, people running. I can, I can imagine for people like yourself directly related to creative arts. I mean, those questions come up all the time and those doubts, especially, you know, I've got friends that are musicians. I've seen those doubts come up mm. for themselves. Like, you know, am I good enough? What am I doing this for? You know, blah, blah, blah. But I suppose when you do that thing, that test, it, it kind of lets you know what you should be doing. And, and also be prepared, be prepared for the, the old self to give you the other answer that you want to have this romantic version of, you, of yourself, but the old self <laughs> might say, don't be a freaking fool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, it could go the other way, but, um, but yeah, maybe it's one way of giving yourself some clear thinking about stuff and taking all the fear and emotion out of it and just going with what's pure. Yeah. Um, 
and somewhere along once you start that journey, then maintaining that integrity along the way and whatever values are important to you, just um, yeah, hold on to those tight like they're a life raft <laughs> because you know, if we go back to that water analogy, because um, that's what it's what keeps you afloat in the end. Yeah, that's true. Well, thanks, man. This has been a great conversation, and it's it's done every it's done everything that this podcast uh, is about for me, which is like the music aspect, but really not yeah. just. I don't know, play a chord like this and do that, but how to kind of live life and, you know, really go for it. And you're just such a great example of that. Well, you're, you're teaching me great things too, Mio. And, um, you know, uh, seeing Paul McCartney with you while I was, yeah. while I was drinking and you were being stone cold sober, I think you've got a much better memory of Paul McCartney than I do. So, <laughs> <laughs> although I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> um, you did. But, uh, I can yeah. tell you that you did. <laughs> that was very that was, that was a great concert that was amazing it was amazing and a really uh, a well cherished experience for me to share with you as well yeah. and um but i suppose the point of that is that we're all trying to refine ourselves the whole way along and yeah you know um only a fool would th- say they've got it all covered and um you know i've learned some things by taking some what people would call brave steps but i'll just call them maybe heart heart steps you know mm. like just doing what i what i thought was the right thing to do and um yeah I'm, I'm i'm happy to learn from you and others and we'll see where all this whole journey takes us <laughs> yeah awesome man well yeah. yeah i look forward to the future with you involved and and um yeah i'll um i'll direct people to the thin green line is there is there anything you want to direct you know people's attention to at the moment Oh, well, I mean, we've just got a campaign at the moment. Um, well, it's about to start about trying to get people to consider giving monthly so we can plan our giving. Um, we've got World Ranger Day coming up on July 31st. So even if it's not about money, just holding a sign saying, I stand with the world's rangers to show them you're yeah, in solidarity with them. Yeah. That's coming up July 31st. And people just go to Thin Green Line website. Um, just Google that and uh, or go to the you know, social media channels. You'll see a lot about that happening in July. Yeah. Um, I just know that yeah, rangers out there are kind of the well, they're they're not treating the symptoms of everything we're seeing with the virus and the fires. They're actually at the cause, trying to stop stop it from happening in the first place. So yeah, they're on the front lines of conservation, and um, the, the, a lot of people I represent and work with are actual true heroes on this planet. And um, and the more of us that can get behind them, the better we're going to be as a whole humanity. And we won't be putting band aids on symptoms; we'll be treating the root causes. So that's yeah. probably where I'd get to. Yeah. Awesome work, man. I have an awesome day. All right, brother. Yeah, cheers, man. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sean Wilmore. As I said in the intro, he is a very gregarious, positive, inspiring human being. He's figured out how to um, you know, put these things together of creativity and art and music to help raise funds for really important things. So if you want to go check out um, his charity, his foundation, the web address is thin greenline.org.au I highly recommend you go check out what they do and if you want to get involved in any way please do that you know one great thing is you know the integrity of the person who's running that foundation and um, that that all those funds get used really really wisely and efficiently which is not always the case in all charities unfortunately Um, but I highly recommend you go check that out and if you want any um you want to go deeper into any of the music that i've been working on with sean you can go to meoviskin.com 
where you can either get a free download of a couple of tracks to hear what uh, that all sounds like, or you can buy a signed CD and I'll ship it to you anywhere in the world. Um, apart from that, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please, wherever you're watching this or listening to this, give it a thumbs up, um, give it a rating on iTunes, leave us a comment, join the conversation. The, the conversation really begins at this point. So the, the podcast is really an opportunity to, to talk about something that's interesting, but I really want to continue the conversation with you. So you can email me, leave a comment, uh, send me an audio message, do whatever you like. And um, yeah, look forward to catching you on the next episode. Have a great day. See ya.